Hey, welcome to Trainable, the video podcast where we all engage in radical, honest conversations to simplify, socialize, and kickstart our well-being journey. Join me as I'll chat with experts from various fields from all around the world, together with mates and everyday people like you and me. Together, we'll unravel the challenges we face in our daily lives and extract those valuable, trainable insights, cutting through all that noise out there in the industry. Think of Trainable as your virtual dinner party where we break down the complexity without the need for a PhD and focus on taking those simple steps to become better than we were yesterday. We're all on our unique journeys and there's just so much to learn from each other. I can't wait to share these enlightening conversations with you. Welcome to this week's episode of Trainable. Well, today we've got a topic of perimenopause and menopause. I guess it's a, a subject I know in even our social circles that's being discussed a lot more now. There seems to be often a taboo around this subject. So joining us today, we've got uh, Natalie Moore and Lisa Saunders who own Own Your Health Collective, but importantly also that amazing podcast called Perimenopause Power. And uh, to help with today's show as well, when I get myself into a little bit of trouble or in the depths of areas that I'm not kind of familiar with, who do I turn to? My wife, Rach. So Rach is joining us today as well. Um, who's gone out to our social network to try and get some of the questions, those burning questions that people want to know about this topic as well. So today we're going to be touching on a range of things from actually the definition of perimenopause and menopause all the way through to the symptoms, um, managing the physical aspects of it, talking about nutrition and vitamins, and also touching on some of the changes of life for men as well called andropause or it's a version of male menopause as well. But I think What's really great about today is just having an open conversation. How do we as partners and men support our beautiful partners through this time, but also kind of ask all those questions that I guess people are wanting to know about, but maybe not kind of discussing in public forums as well. So uh, I hope you look forward to today. Uh, I know I got a lot of out of it as well. And um, I think that uh, anyone who's going through it or will be looking to go through it will get some great tips out of it from the girls as well. So I hope you look forward to the show. Okay, welcome to the latest episode of Trainable. And I've got some really special guests here today. I've got three amazing women um, talking about a really important topic today as well. And I think it's something that... um, I know there's a lot of discussion and I was just thinking the other day, firstly, welcome Natalie, Lisa and my beautiful wife, Rach, to the podcast today. You're back <laughs> after popular demand, Rach, absolutely, after <laughs> episode one. Everyone said, bring Rach back on. Enough of you, Ryan, bring Rach back on. So I'm like, all right, okay, Rach back on. But it's, um, it's uh, great to have you on today. Um, I was interesting, I, you know, Rach and I, we went to the Robbie Williams concert uh, the, other, the other night and I kind of looked around and I went, gee, there's a lot of older people here. And then as I kind of walked to, 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 to go and grab a drink from something, I got a glimpse of myself and I thought, you know what, I'm one of those older people now as well. And I thought it was a, an interesting kind of observation that, you know, as we transition through life, you know, we're getting older, right, and we're going through different stages of life, you know, as well. And, and one of those stages, um, and maybe not spoken about as much, is around, you know, perimenopause and menopause mm. um, there as well. And I think today's going to be a great discussion 
not only for people that are potentially going through it, I think younger people to kind of understand what might be ahead and, and what can we do now to thank ourselves for the future. I think men and that are partners or partners that are um, of partners that are going through it. So there's like a greater empathy and understanding because we're on this kind of journey together through it all. And we might even touch on some of the changes that maybe men are going through at this stage as well. So I thought it's going to be a really wide ranging discussion. And what I do know, catching up with you guys, there's hope and there's joy at the other end of this and there's and there's an amazing transition through it all as well. So I think maybe just to kind of um, start with is I think maybe getting back straight to basics, what is perimenopause and menopause? We hear about it, we're talking about it a lot. What actually is it if we can kind of help define that? Sure. Do you want me to take this one, Nat? All good. So menopause is essentially marks the end of a woman's menstrual cycle um, and the ovaries stop producing eggs. That's it in a nutshell, really. It's diagnosed after 12 months without a period and it typically occurs in the late 40s to the early 50s. And the average age is around 51, 52, depending on what research you you, you read, but it's around that time. Um, and the perimenopause, so after that one one day after that 12 months, you that's the day of menopause that you haven't had a period for 12 months. And after that, you're defined as postmenopause. But there's a lead up to it. So yes. that lead up is perimenopause. And that's where I think a lot of the confusion starts or the, oh, shit, what's happening to my body? Because I last night I went to bed feeling really great. And then tomorrow, the, the, the next day today, I've woken up with some type of symptom that I'm not familiar with. Um, so it's that... Um, that transition to menopause, and on average, that perimenopause stage can be around five to eight years. For some women, it's shorter. For some, it's longer. It just depends. It's a very individual thing, and which is really important for um, for listeners to understand because what's happening to one woman and then what's happening to her girlfriend can be very different. So I would really caution people not to really compare themselves to you know their girlfriend, their sister, whatever. It can be a little bit different. Um, and what's really interesting is perimenopause, um, on average, it starts in your mid to late 40s, but it can start earlier. But it's the whispers that we need to be mm. very mindful of, just those little symptoms that a lot of women, um, myself included, put down to had young children in my early 40s, but I can actually pinpoint now when perimenopause started for me, yet I didn't know at the time. So for me, it was these enormous mood outbursts, you know, like my mood just changed. It would just, and I'd get very angry um, and it wasn't a really nice time. You know, I had young kids. Um, so it can be mood disturbances. It can be changes to your menstrual cycle, the brain fog. It, it just happens at different times, but that sort of like alludes to that start of perimenopause. And it doesn't necessarily mean the cycle changes. It can be some of the other symptoms that, that come about. So that's essentially what it is um, in a nutshell. It's interesting because I know even in our social circles, Rach, you know, it's a it's a topic I know leading in today as well. So people think oh, I'm curious. I mean, Rach, the most curious person I know, I walk around with blinkers on compared to, to how you kind of go deep into all these things. But, you know, you've had a really good chat to a lot of, you know, your friends as yeah. well. And there's a, it seems to be this topic which, you know, people are starting to talk about it and there's kind of more vulnerability, but it's still 
not really understood at certain stages and people have got a lot of questions around it. And what do you, what do you, I mean, even like we when even in our relationship, sometimes we've got, God, I've got brain fog, you know, I'm feeling these types of things, but you know, what, what's, what's the, our community of friends feeling and thinking at the moment? I think um, our community of friends confused. Mm. Like what, what is going on? Um, going to GPs and trying this, trying that and not getting the outcomes that they want. I mean, I spoke to a lot of friends and said, ask me, you know, you're burning questions and, you know, and everyone was feeling the same thing, you know, um, it, which I'll sort of go through, you know, d- d- depending on all the different areas that we talk about. But, yeah, confused mm-hmm. and just wanting help and support and symptom relief and just to sort of how to create this, you know, a, a good mindset and move through it positively or, as a friend said, gracefully. How do you yeah. move through it all in a really graceful way? Mm-hmm. So considering we're all intelligent women, um, the fact that this sort of all got us a bit by surprise, mm-hmm. you know, in- including myself. When you go, hang on a second, I must be in perimenopause by now, and then you start doing the research and find that there's a lot of experts who you you know still don't really know, and you you know get run around the garden path, and yeah, and I still don't feel like I really un- fully understand because mm. there's so much information mm. and so many books out there. So how do you guys start to lead people through that now? So if we kind of unpack that a little bit, there's confusion. You know, what do I do? Um, you know, and also maybe even sifting through, is this related to menopause or perimenopause or is this something else? And, you know, it's it's really interesting, even if you think around relationships around our 40s and 50s, there's a lot of even divorce, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of talking around depression and all these different things. And you wonder, you know, what's the involvement in these types of things as well? But Nat, what are you seeing? And if we kind of unpack that a little bit more, what are the things that, you know, I guess we start guiding people through their thoughts through this process? Mm, and I will say to you, Rachel, that your community is definitely not alone. Mm. Every single woman that we cross path, paths with really does feel that same way. There's that real fear, that confusion, that loneliness. And I often say that the greatest defence to the fear and the shame and the confusion is education. And unfortunately, we just have never had the education around the way our bodies work, our biology, our cycles, our faith. You know, we we got some type of education going through school and then that's it. And unless we had to actually actively seek the education, we didn't get it. And so we just meander through life, ignoring our bodies, ignoring our cycles. And I know that that can, there's a bit of shame that sits behind that. I know when I um, discovered the power of my cycles and the phases of every single cycle that I had every month, I sort of looked and thought, oh, my God, this is incredible. How come Mm. I didn't have this information before? Why did I ignore it so long? But we don't know what we don't know, right? Mm. And so this is where education really is key. And it's not just knowing the what of Mm. it, it's understanding the why. This is why. This is our evolution as a woman with our hormones, with our um, reproductive organs. This is why we go through what we do. And that really helps to bring that acceptance, to really drop some of that fear Um, And just bring, you know, I guess a sense of kindness and compassion to ourselves as well that, yes, I might feel completely out of control around what I'm experiencing, 
but I have a better understanding and I'm going to give myself permission to be kind to myself and have compassion because this is a huge transition and it's it's one that I'm naturally going to go through and now how can I embrace it and, and almost harness it? Yeah. You know, when I hear Nat talk about that, she so eloquently puts it um, every time we have a discussion around this. And I think there's a lot in the media that we're not hitting on exactly mm. what Nat's just said. You know, there's a lot of confusion and negativity, but, you know, why not embrace what we are as women and what we have, what our body can offer us and embrace that and celebrate it and work with it. And we're not encouraged to do that. And if we can actually be looking after ourselves in our reproductive and menstrual health years, that leading to menopause becomes so so much easier because the education's there. We, we know that we're going into it, you know, eating well, sleeping well, all those kinds of things, um, you know, lower stress levels, but we're not actively pushing that through the media. And we know through our socials and all that kind of thing, we're very much um, taking up that information that we see and and do from what we're hearing in the media mm. and reading in the media. So there has to be more around that that actually encourages women to love their bodies rather than, you know, shame them, fear them, don't understand. Do you think because we're all, you know, um, males, female, we're getting older, there's this real anti-ageing push mm all the time as well and there's this kind of societal expectations like oh getting older is not good do you know what I mean and so we're we're always trying to do so you I guess as a society we're very vulnerable to that I'd imagine yeah yeah we are yeah the ageism piece is really rife Mm. yes and sexism as well um, is is really evident out there and this is another phase that makes us different to our male counterparts again. And we see this a lot in the workplace as well because, again, that patriarchy piece comes out mm. too and women don't want to identify themselves as having another challenge or having another obstacle that might impact the way that they show up at work. Um, and it is, it's it's all of that. And really there is so much societal conditioning mm. and it has just been passed down from generation to generation. And I will say, I'm not sure if it's at anyone's fault, but it is what it is and it's been what it's been but now is a real opportunity here that we can understand for ourselves and also for our next generation our children and our grandchildren and help them embrace this and and if I could just share my personal experience I'm 42 in December and in understanding my cycles tracking my cycles understanding the ebbs and flows of each of my cycles I'm starting to experience changes now that are not um, concerning me, you know, someone who has had a very regular cycle, very bang on every single month. Now I'm having changes and it's like, okay, well now I'm curious about yes. what's going on. I'm curious about what's, what's changing. And I just keep observing and I, and I write down and I acknowledge, okay, this is what I felt today. Okay. This is what I'm feeling today, the next day. So it's just, it's power in, in having that education and really connecting with yourself and being curious around the learning. That's really interesting. Rach, do you want to dig into some of the the thoughts or just some of the, I guess, the questions that would be kind of interesting that, you know, I mean, it's interesting being in the house. It's been like a Telstra call centre uh, with all of this. So there's a, we've gone kind of deep and with a lot of friends uh, at the moment. But what, what if you can kind of give a, a bit of a feedback around what some of the thoughts are, Rach? Yes, absolutely. Um, I don't know if we could 
start, I was listening to one of your wonderful podcasts and you, there was a quote that I thought, wow, it really sort of grabbed my attention. And I, mean, I know you said, you know, your eyes see and your ear hears what your brain is looking for and how that's linked to your beliefs, thoughts and feelings. And that really made me think, especially after I'd been talking to friends and all the questions that have been coming through. And I thought, wow, because it's, you know, how we think, obviously with the questions that were coming through. And I thought, well, could you just expand more on that? Because I thought that would be a great one to start with and talk about it in a really positive way. And then, yeah, I do have questions that we can mm. work through and thoughts. Mm. But Yes, yeah. our beliefs. I mean, they really do drive so much and it's a bit of a, a pet passion of mine as well. And there's this fabulous equation that I follow and I can't remember who introduced it to me originally, but it's our beliefs equal our thoughts, which equal our feelings and equal our actions. Mm. And so, you know, if, if we go back to that societal conditioning, we've got that belief that menopause means we're getting old. I mean, every time we run a workshop, the first question we ask our attendees is what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word menopause mm. and it's getting old, hot flush, you know, can't sleep, getting fat, you know, like and, and these these are the words that women are using and the way that they see themselves coming into menopause. So our beliefs really do play a really big part and I think what's really important here and I'm, I'm fascinated around um, biology and creating new neural pathways that we can change our beliefs mm. And it really is trying to flip that perspective that, again, similar to what I was saying before, that, yes, this is a phase that I'm going through and and much like that quote, if I start to change what I see and what I think and the way I talk about this phase of life, well, naturally my brain is then going to start looking for these positive avenues and, and start to change the way I feel and think and believe about menopause. Hmm. Yeah, I think I wish that I, in my 40s, I think I was so busy, you know, worrying about all my vitamin and mineral levels, you know, the zinc and iron and magnesium, and then just really paid no attention to hormones. Mm. And then I wish that I'd look back, you know, I could go back like I'm 51 and so I wish I'd like one sort of respected my hormones more and protected them more rather than sort of showing up at a GP and saying, right, I think I'm in perimenopause. I have to be, like I'm 50. Um, what do I do? And then it was like, well, here, do a Dutch test. And then I looked at that and went, oh, gosh, there's so many vials here. This is a crazy, this is so hard. And then it was do the day three and day 21. But then I realised that I couldn't track my day 21 when I really started paying attention. So then that went on for weeks and weeks. I thought, okay, now I'm, now I felt like time was critical yeah. and I'm still not moving forward with anything. So I um, I guess with, I don't know if it's a good place to that sort of 40s what to do. Um, is that a good place to start? You think, so, you know, if you're going back, what do you start to do or what can you do to be aware and how to, yeah, love your hormones? Mm. Look, and, and Lise probably have some things to say on this too, but what we often say is simply start where you are. Mm. It is never too late to start. And, of course, as you come into more cycle irregularities, it is going to be a little bit harder to track your cycle and really pinpoint where you're at. But just start wherever you are today is probably my greatest tip, that it's never too late and and and, and start today. Yeah, and and I absolutely feeding on from that. I think the the sooner that you can start really recognizing what your cycle's doing, wherever it, you know, find out where it's at. I remember, I, I can tell you, like, I don't know it was probably about three years ago. I was pretty regular with my cycles, and then 
something happened. It was like six weeks or seven weeks. And I thought, holy moly, what's going on here, right? But then I thought, you know, this is something that actually that happens. And that for me was the real start of my cycle irregularity. Previous to that, I um, was having the confusion, the brain fog, the mood outbursts and things like that. But that was like, whoa. But what it did do is reckon, I recognise that I'm so glad I've been tracking where I'm at, how I'm feeling, all those kinds of things. And look, even from the basics that we can be doing as starting now is, you know, really having a really good sleep hygiene and sleep pattern in relation to there is a lot to be said to going to bed at the same day, at the same time every day and waking up at the same time every day. It's very, very powerful. Um, and why it, is that? It's just that it it's it just regulates, you yes. know, the body in relation to giving it a parameter in which you're going to bed. And obviously, you know, a few hours before midnight, they say is a lot better. There's a lot of repair that happens. And then at certain hours, like, you know, in the early hours of the morning, there's different repair that happens in the body. But then you add to that the change in your menopause, you know, in your hormones, I should say. And, you know, there's, there's repair that needs to happen with that. So that regulation... Um, as well. So it's really, and if, you, if you're going out of kilter with that, it, mm. it can confuse the body, right? Like I had a late night last night celebrating a, you know, a family event. I, I'm feeling it today actually, but um, it just goes. You're looking to, great. Oh, though, no, I, just, I feel a bit tired. <laughs> haven't had quite enough of sleep as what mm. I would normally, but it does really hone, it becomes more evident that that sleep pattern is really powerful. And, and I think I was chatting to Nat about it recently. I've really made a conscious effort to go to bed at the same time and get up at the same time. And it really does work. You know, on the weekend we sort of think, oh, we'll sleep in a little bit. Um, yes, it's a great thing to have a bit of a sleep in, but really if you can stick to that, I find that's really powerful. Um, stress and, you know, Nat can talk more to the stress element, but the amount of stress that we've got in our everyday life, it will really underpin that cortisol reaction, that stress hormone. And we become more susceptible to cortisol in perimenopause and menopause due to that change in hormones. Um, so that's something that you need to be really well aware of. And, you know, we've all got stressful lives. Mm -hmm. We talk about, we can't take our stress away. We can have no zero stress. A little bit's actually fine, but, um, I would say that 99.9% .9 of the population have stress that they need to get under control for some of it. And that could be, you know, bringing in some more stress reduction um, strategies. You know, Nat's been a, Nat's a great with the breathing and she's really taught me how to do diaphragmatic breathing. And we get to, I'll get to somewhere and it's just about having three deep breaths before you head off to a meeting or three deep breaths before you're going to sleep. And what that sends as a signal to the body and like, you know, everything's okay. The stress levels, are it dampens it down. So, you know, just really simple strategies around looking at how you can decrease your stress. Um, eating well. Eating well has never become more important, I feel, for women than in their perimenopause stages um, and menopause. So, um, you know, women are not eating enough protein to support their, their functioning in perimenopause and menopause and beyond. And with the coaching that Nat and I do, that's the number one, number one thing that every woman that I coach is not eating enough protein. We have this decrease in muscle mass that comes yes. about through our decrease in estrogen. Um, you know, lifting weights is obviously really uh, an important thing to be doing. And I'm not talking, you know, full on weight, just start where you are and work up from there. Yep. Um, but that protein element and, you know, fiber element so that we're actually, you know, you know, uh, really make sure that you're sticking to eating some really 
beautiful, colourful fruit and vegetables. Um, that fibre element's really important to ensure that we're doing it. Women are not eating enough fibre and we're not drinking enough water. We're not hydrating our bodies, you know, really simple stuff. And yes. these things are really key and uh, it's the basics that we know but we're not doing because we live in a society that I want the quick fix. I've yes. got, I'm rushing around. I've just got to have it, have it happen straight away. Well, I'm here to tell you it doesn't just happen straight away. You've got to put a bit of work into it and I think the quick fix mentality has a lot to answer for actually um, in in the way that we want to see solutions happening for our bodies. Um, and the one thing else is exercise, you know, go for a walk, do something that you love. Definitely look at seeing how you can get some weights, whether it's body weight or I've just recently joined back at Kezar and um, I'm feeling really, really inspired by, you know, getting some weights um, happening with my body. I've noticed a difference in the tone of my body. So that's something that's really important. And um, I think just make sure you're moving your body um, and doing some weight work is, you know, that they are four basics that I will start with with everyone. And, and that will, um, do you want to add to that, Nat? Is there anything I'll I was just going to say too, just meet yourself where you are. Yep. So if you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, meet yourself where you are and really acknowledge that what you were doing in the decades prior mm. will be very different to what you're doing today. So the way that you would eat in your 20s and move your body in the 20s would be very different to your 40s. And we have to learn to adapt and we have to be agile in those changes. Again, I speak to a lot of women who say, I, I just can't run the way I used to or I can't pump weight mm. the way I used to well you're not meant to because mm. it's changed and you actually have to adapt your body and again it comes back to those belief patterns yes. right we have to change the way we believe or see ourselves in that aging process and actually acknowledge that okay I've got to meet myself where I am today and what are the basics that I can do to really start supporting myself and that's you know least touched on all of those that that we really do focusing on working with the women that we support. I was just going to say, you know, when, we, when we're pregnant or we're preparing our bodies to become pregnant, we really look after ourselves and then we really revere being pregnant and everyone fusses and really look after ourselves. I want us to be able to pick that self-care, look after ourselves notion up after, you know, we still might be in our productive years of our lives, not necessarily having children, but we need to pick up that same mentality and carry it through. It's, it's for some reason we forget about it, like because mm. we become busy, our focus goes back to our children, rearing our children, looking after our family, which, you know, we, you know, hand on heart is one of the best things I've ever done, if not the most rewarding thing in my life. But we forget about the self-care and that's where I think um, we're losing the battle a bit in relation to looking after ourselves because there's a lot of guilt around women actually exercising self-care around themselves. And we hear that all the time. I don't have time to look after ourselves, but uh, yet I'll make time to make sure I get the kids to this activity or, you know, go there or do this, you know, beautiful meal or it's all great stuff, but we're forgetting about ourselves. And I think when we can implement some more self-care around how our bodies function and um, you know, how healthy we are, that's really a big key and a big mindset that we need to get over. Okay. So just going back to hormones, so estrogen, progesterone, testosterone in our bodies, what's actually happening with those hormones? So the basically those hormones are decreasing. Um, and uh, what's interesting is that there are, there are estrogen receptors 
all around our body. So estrogen isn't just, you know, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, they're classified as sex hormones, but they do so much more. So, you know, progesterone has a really big part in in our mental health and our calmness and things like that. So that is decreasing and we have this issue around mental health and anxiety being heightened in in menopause. So that's a big contributing factor, as is estrogen. Estrogen has a lot to answer for, actually, Mm. because We've got estrogen receptors all over our body, so it contributes to our our mental health, our heart health, our bone health, our you know our our sex health, all that kind of stuff. So they are all decreasing, and um, we need to be aware of how we can support ourselves through that. So there are things that we can be doing around you know that I've mentioned around eating better, all that kind of stuff. But it's just being aware. I think a lot of people don't realise that they have such an impact on our, our health across the board. So when we're, we've got sore joints, we've got heart palpitations, our brain fog's hitting in, our anxiety levels are increased. It's like mm. I've never been a highly anxious person. Um, and that, another, that was another big one for me at the very start of perimenopause. I had very heightened anxious, anxiety levels. I couldn't work out what it is. But it's making that connection between those decreases. So... Um, that's essentially what happens with it. So we can look at it, you know, we can look at our, our lifestyle, a lot of those things that um, that I mentioned before that Nat and I uh, really work in that lifestyle space. But it's also about going along and um, having a really good chat to a, a trusted GP who is um, who's trained in menopause health. A lot of doctors aren't, it's no fault of their own, it's just not part of their yeah. curriculum or studies, you know, so a lot of them go back and do additional research. Do you think they study. might misdiagnose things because of that? Because Absolutely. there's not that knowledge. So yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. antidepressants might come yeah. into the, oh, I'm not too sure. but Yeah, no, it does. You're, you're bang on. It's yeah. a huge thing. And, in fact, a few weeks ago now, um, the, the Her Centre from Monash University actually put on an inaugural conference talking about mental health. And a lot mm-hmm. of the the first day was all around menopause's contri- the contribution that menopause makes towards that mental health. Um, so, yeah, we are, you know, there is a, an issue with um, the, pre- the prescribing of antidepressants when we should probably be looking at uh, prescribing MHT or at least um, which is menopause hormonal therapy mm-hmm. or some of your listeners might, might know it uh, as hormone replacement therapy. Um, and what that does is give you a bit of a, you know, it's it's giving you a baseline level of some these estrogen, progesterone, t- testosterone that can help um, help women get back on track, you know, just give them the baseline to actually getting them back on track and feeling great about life again because it does, you know, you've got these you know, almost depressive anxiety mm-hmm. issues happening and so you've got that and then you've got interrupted sleep, uh, you've got hot flushes happening, doesn't happen to everyone, but there's this, you know, 360-degree circle that you're trying to get yourself out of it but and you're doing the lifestyle therapies, which is great, but you might just need that extra that extra uh, step also in in embracing that. Personally, I've been on MHT for the last year and it has made a big difference. Um, but I will also say, and the the specialist that I actually go to see myself, she's a you know she will say I can definitely prescribe the MHT and well let's look at that. But you must be also making sure that your lifestyle elements yes are, are you know are on track. So there's some women that are so. Um, 
you know, they're in such a bad way that it's just the MHT helps them get back to a, a base level and then they can start definitely pulling those lifestyle elements in, into it. I will pre- um, preempt that with um, not every woman can go on MHT, so that's where lifestyle therapies really become super important to them. Um, but, again, it comes back to that education and that's the education about understanding that those hormones do decrease did you want to add anything? I just wanted to add in because I love the analogy around all the thinking around first puberty versus second yeah. puberty. So think about your teenage years. We come into first puberty. Our hormones are naturally ramping up. And then menopause is often described as our second puberty where the hormones are starting to decrease and ramp down. So just having that picture mm. around them going up, you know, that we need for the rest of our reproductive years and then they're starting to ramp down. So, yeah, it's powerful thinking. And actually, mm. good point, Nat. And, and if you think about when, uh, you know, young women are entering puberty, there is a real you know, over it, it's got to it's got to regulate our hormone. Their hormones need to regulate at that time. So you've got this up and down of estrogen. You've got this up and down of progesterone, and then that's exactly what's happening in second mm-hmm. puberty. They regulate, but we we don't remember that. You know, it's probably I don't remember it. Like you know, it's a long time ago. But if you can sort of um, understand that this has actually happened to me before, and it's happening again. It helps just normalise that this is a perfectly natural way in which our bodies were meant to function. Um, And actually in our workshops that we do with corporates, we actually put a slide up that shows that regulation or that balancing out of hormones. And it's a real eye-opener for a lot of Mm -hmm. women when they see the image and um, it's like, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. They just see this graph with fluctuating hormones and they can actually liken it to the experience that they're having in themselves because it is fluctuating. Mm. And they, it really resonates with them. We should share it with you, Rachel. Yes, yeah, I'd yes, love to see that. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask a quick back to um, HRT. A friend was saying, you know, she has a very high risk of breast cancer in her family and her GP put her onto HRT and then she saw her specialist who said, get off that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. she felt that a lot of people wouldn't be aware, especially with that high increase of breast cancer risk, you know, to make sure that they, you know, ask those questions and don't automatically you know, assume that it's okay for them to be on HRT. Um, I haven't got that high risk, fortunately, but I was definitely in that camp that HRT equates to a, a high risk of breast cancer. And until I really listened to a few podcasts and started to understand the study that was done and how there was some, you know, flawed data mm. around that, um, that was very interesting. So could yeah. you touch on I can, yeah. Look, and look, obviously we're not doctors, yeah. but I will preface that by saying there was a, there was a lot of fraud research, and that has been a very much the general thinking about it. And that you know the um, different medical associations have done a lot of work in relation to debunking that. Now, I, I don't know if I've got this right, but there's there is um, I think it's one in. 13, uh, look, I, I won't say what it is because I can't be sure, but you've got more of a risk of, um, you know, contracting or getting breast cancer by drinking alcohol than taking MHT. Um, and that really rang home to me because I thought, well, wow, that's quite amazing. So it is a low risk and you go into that with your eyes open, mm. but it's certainly, uh, it shouldn't, be, I don't think that should be the thing that is really driving your decision in which to to embark on, on yeah, taking explore, it. Explore, explore yeah, the possibilities. Yeah, and it, it is very much an individual thing. You know, I've listened to case studies where some women have been predisposed to um, the cancer risk, but 
they are going, those women are also going through such amazing symptoms that a lot of them said, you know what, put me on it and let's just keep, let's have a look at where it goes. And I thought, wow, that's pretty brave, but they're also suffering, these women as well. And I think you've got to, you've got to find the right specialist or the right GP um, who can take you through and understand what that means. And you can be um, monitored in relation to whether you've got the risk or not um, in relation to how it makes you feel. And, you know, there's blood test after blood test or different symptoms that you might experiencing that all add into the story of whether it's going to be safe for you or not. But I think um, the um, the costs certainly, uh, the, the benefits certainly outweigh the costs and very individual. So case by case mm. and work with someone who's really um, experienced in that area. Yeah, because um, it just opens the opens the window to discuss it. Yeah, it? absolutely. Yeah, yeah rather yeah, than I was yeah. just a blanket. Oh, no, no yeah, way. Yeah. And even just starting to do a little more research and yeah. say, okay, then maybe this is something mm. that could really help as long as it's monitored. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, no, that's fantastic. Um, just um, sleeplessness, a lot of friends like sleep, you know, those um, really intense mm. night sweats mm. and the hot flushes. And a friend described it to me and when I was listening to her, I was like, oh, wow, like, you know, how does, you know, her, she said it is, is brutal. That was her description, a brutal physical symptom. Yeah. And she said, I just want to, so I don't get it wrong because it has not happened to me, thank goodness, but um, starts at the soles of your feet and then you feel it just coming up and up like yeah. a furnace. Yeah. And then by the time it gets to your, you it's know. Like it, it goes out of your head yeah. sort of thing like a volcano. Yeah. And yeah. then you are dripping. Yeah. And, you know, and so that obviously then you're waking up, you're throwing off the doona, mm. you're putting it back on, you're cold, you're hot. Yeah. To the fact where, you know, every 10 minutes I thought, oh, my gosh, and then how, are, you know, people were functioning the next day. They're what, not. They're not. And so what gives is what is your body, what, so obviously it's low in, you know, maybe estrogen. Yep. What is your body trying to achieve? So does estrogen control your sweat function? And is that why we, you know, people get such intense hot flushes? And what's the body trying to achieve by these hot flushes? Yeah, the body is just trying to balance out the estrogen, func- the estrogen, the drop in hormones. Um it's probably more a doctor's discussion, I suppose. Mm. Um, but I'm also interested as well, and we always have lots of questions that go unanswered because this time of life really has had very limited research. Mm. And, yeah, exactly. And we're seeing more and more, absolutely, but there's obviously a lot more to come. And I actually wonder, it's a little bit like, I'm going to put my yoga meditation teacher hat on, but it's like when we go to bed and all of a sudden we're flooded with all of these thoughts and the to-do list, all the things that happen across the day. And and it's probably, I wonder if it's part of us finally just resting for the day. We've gone go, go, go. Perhaps we're, we've been in that fight or flight stress response all, all day and then we finally go to bed and we find ourselves being able to relax and unwind. And is that our our body's hormones starting to catch up and, and wanting to regulate? There's these sort of questions that come up and I think unless someone actually actively goes and does that specific research, we probably won't have the specific answers as to why we go through it. But I'm sure there is that probably that mind-body connection that is happening and it's um, it's not funny when you were talking about the the role of um, the night sweats that's happening, but I was instantly taken to a body scan meditation that I do, you know, where it starts from the feet and you you draw up with your breath and and really focusing on your body and and I'm wondering is is that a way that uh, women can start to 
embrace or be with the experience of a night sweat. So as you're feeling it, just breathing through it and feeling it actually rise up through your feet and and feel the sensations of the body. And, um, you know, it it might not be helpful. This is me putting the the, the positive accepting um, hat on. But I do wonder if there is that connection of we're in that constant go, go, go state all day and then finally we stop and we rest. And, And is that is that the result that we, we experience those? There's definitely um, cortisol spikes as well. Like, you know, when heart attacks at 3am in the morning and these types of things, like our body, mm. it does ama- amazing things at different mm. times as well. But I can't even begin to think what that would be, mm. be like. Yeah. There, there is a medical explanation for it. I just can't verbalise it. But I, it, it is to do with that regulation of oestrogen and um, the body has a natural ability to throw out, like it thinks that it, there's, we've got this hotening, hotening up of the body so it'll throw something out and that's where the sweats come through to basically cool us down. And mm. That's our body's reaction, right? Yeah. When we're hot, we sweat. Um, it just happens at the wrong time of the day. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you'll hear women that say, I had to get up and I had to change the sheets, so it was just a dripping mess. Yeah. Um, I can honestly, that didn't actually go to the level like that for me, but I still have a very heightened body temperature. Even last night I was in and out of the... I, doing the covers and my husband will always come over and give me a, a hug and I go, oh, my God, you're too hot. Like he goes, oh, but I'm cold. I need you to warm me. I'm going, well, go and warm yourself up. You're too hot. So to, Wish that know. would happen in my house. Yeah. You're like, I want the aircon in every night and you're just like, it's too cold. Yeah, it's like, yeah, oh, my no, God. No, it's, um, it's a very – and, and it, for me it certainly gets a lot worse in the in the – and the hot in the warmer temperatures, and I, I was speaking with someone this week, another woman that said uh, it was a client that we had, and she said I'm all right now, but in the summer months I really find that my the hot flushes start again, you know, and it's that regulation again. It's just how our body's working, um, as well. But it just really heightens during those perimenopause and menopause years. They do say that once you reach menopause and become postmenopausals, some of those hot flashes or symptoms can dissipate, but some of them can also stick around. Forever. Wow. Forever. You know, we, we oh, hear God. some of them will just go, but you still hear women going through hot flushes, uh, you know, when they're postmenopausal. So things that really postmenopause, you know, joint aches, you know, because your estrogen is quite low, um, your bone health is a huge one and something that we really need to be mindful of. Like I think the stats are that we lose 3, 3% of our bone health Um or formation for each year that going into menopause and then that heightens more once you're on the other side of menopause. And if you're a smoker, that just is, is so much more. So it's just things like that. It, again, it comes down to that education around knowing what that decrease in hormones does. And I, as I said before, I think a lot of people just have no idea that it just translates into so many parts of our and our body systems that we take for granted. Mm. And I always say, God, if I, w- I wish I knew 20 years ago how important estrogen is to my body and how much how much better I would have looked after it, you know. Yeah, so it's not same. until you, you don't know it till it's what gone. What would you be doing though differently then if you were? If <laughs> I, that was I the think case? I'd I'd probably do more strength training work. Um, okay. And um, probably would have put more of a Look, I love my sleep, but I think being really, um, really focused around my going to bedtime and my wake up time and just making sure I got that. For me, I know eight hours is my magic number. Um, and just eating well, you know, there's mm. so many. We go in as women, we go into perimenopause and menopause highly nutrient deficient because we haven't been actually eating 
the food to, that can really support ourselves. And what, are, what are the key ones? So people listening now, like, like oh, look guys, here, magnesium, yes. zinc, but they're all the key ones that through life. Sure. They're just heightened, I think, yep. as we go into per- perimenopause. Uh, but magnesium, zinc, B vitamins, um, vitamin D plays a big role in our yes. in our um, in our mental health, in our immune health. Um, getting enough fibre, as I said before. Vitamin C is great for collagen. You know, we lose a lot of collagen in this time. Um, but re- and our gut health. You know, if we've got a really good gut, if we've got really good gut health. Um, that helps with that assimilation of vitamins and nutrients that we're getting through the food that we put in it. And I often say, you know, if people say, well, what do I eat? I say, well, if it comes from a tree, um, from an animal or um, from the ground, they're the things that you should mm. really you know, really be concentrating on. And I love the Jeffit philosophy and it, it's it's. Uh, applicable through every phase of our life, just eat real food. Yes. And, you know, really um, unreasonable. I know that there's an element of some processed foods that come into our life, but don't make that the 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 be-all and end-all, the focus of what you're putting into your body. And women in their 40s and 50s, they're busy. They're busy raising a family um, and in addition to that could have parents they're starting to have to look after. They're busy with their, you know, their roles are ramping up again. They're, they're um, you know, maybe gone from no work or part-time work and they're starting to go back into part-time or full-time work. So they're making um, food choices that may not really resonate or support their health. So, you know, be really, you know, if you know you're going to be busy, meal plan or, you know, what other kind of pre-prepared healthy meals could you be looking at or, but, you know, eating real food and keeping it simple is not that hard. It's just the tweaking around it. And that's, you know, some of the coaching that we do as well. Yes. Mm. Um, back to strength training, it's so important, like muscles and bones. Like as our friend Donna mm. Aston yes. says, you know, 1% of muscle mass is lost every year from yeah. the age of 35. So I'm like really ramping that up again now. Yeah, and it's creating, and <laughs> yeah. you can see the difference as well. Like it's, it's just... You know, I'm just kind of listening to this. Like, it is this self-care, isn't it? Like, mm. at the end of the day, we're all going through this. What do we do today to thank ourselves for over the subsequent years, right? And that's the thing. We kind of live so much now and we're, you know what, and there's shit going on in everyone's life. You know, like the kids are getting older. You know what I mean? Um, even males are going through changes that time. You know, there's the dynamics of kids leaving the house. Your parents are getting older, yeah. works under there, maybe financial pressure. All these things are going, but it's like how do we carve out time to do what's right for us and taking some ownership back of that, which is, um, yeah, it just seems like the, a, a reoccurring message of every podcast really. Yeah. Um, physical health, I have a friend who swears by you know, cold water immersion and, you know, a regular group that said all her swimming friends swim in the bay and she says that not one of her swimming friends have menopausal symptoms um, and she said it's the best drug that she's ever discovered. And so have you got any thought? Oh, there's so much research around cold water therapies now. Have you got any thoughts mm-hmm. about that? Yes. So I've actually been doing that a little bit myself over the last, say, 12 to 18 months. Um, through all of my yoga training, my teacher was very big on that and, and still on that today. But for me, it was it's having my usual warm shower and then finishing my shower with um, cold, cold water um, at the end. Um, but look, you know, these are practices that really do, again, help to support 
our, the regulation of our body. There's a lot of research into the benefits around mental health as well. Um, and, you know, it, it's finding what works. You know, there's a little bit of, yeah. well, um, I don't, it's not mind over the matter, matter so much, but it's finding things that really um, lift your spirit and make you feel good. So even if there isn't any, say, technical, um, medical or scientific benefits of hot, cold therapy, if it's making you feel great, do it. You know, there's yeah. there's no yeah. cookie cutter approach for anybody. It's really doing things that make you feel good. Um, and, you know, it's interesting around um, and definitely not to um, go against your friend and, and the talk around no symptoms, but there's a lot of symptoms that women are not aware of. You know, there's 35 plus. Even out of the UK, we saw research showing 48. So as much as- different types of symptoms. Yeah, different symptoms. So as much as women might feel that they haven't got any symptoms, they might, they might be experiencing some type of, some type of um, symptoms or, or changes as a result. Um, it just might not be showing up showing up for them as well but um but, as strongly yeah that's perhaps. right but definitely yeah. there's 20% of women um out of some research that um they say they've had no symptoms as a result of um, menopause and 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 your friends friends might be might be in that that bucket as well um but definitely there's there's lots of benefits in all type of practices and um you know th- different things that you can do for sure mm-hmm. mm. We've got, and I've actually got it here in my notes actually, we've got this slide that we put into our workshops and it doesn't list all of them, but it's a busy slide. So can I Yeah, go for it. Absolutely. These are some of the symptoms that some women could be experiencing or could be experiencing and haven't put it down to perimenopause. Brain fog, we've talked about, weight gain, hot flushes, breast tenderness, anxiety, fatigue, itchy skin, decreased libido, irregular cycles, hair loss, body temperature changes, headaches or migraines, joint muscle pain, heart palpitations, dizziness, insomnia, osteoporosis, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, urinary tract infections and depression. So if some women have been, um, you might have some women that have been experiencing some of those things already, they become even more heightened in perimenopause and beyond. Um, And I talked about, I think I talked about uh, blood sugar control, uh, you know, being a bit more heightened in, in this time of life. So we see a lot of women that start presenting with heart disease and type 2 diabetes because of that decrease in estrogen. Prior to that, estrogen's been very practi- um, protective, so it hasn't been an issue. So that's why your diet becomes really important because you want to be eating foods that definitely support your blood sugar levels and your weight Um We become, um, and I have found it myself in being very um, onto what I eat, I have had more of an inkling and a yearning to have carbohydrate foods. Like I'm normally being a low-carb sort of person and uh, it's been really, really interesting. Is that what drives the weight gain as well because of those cravings as well? It could be. Yeah, well, because those cravings, well, I think if we're having more carbs that can have a tendency to to, – affect our blood sugar control. So what we want to do is be eating foods that, um, you know, keeping it nice and maintained. If we have this up and down blood sugar all the time, um, it's going to affect our weight management. And and I actually think Donna talked about it on your first podcast, actually. Um, So, and I think a lot of women don't make that connection. So um, I've been really aware of it. It's like, I don't really crave these kinds of um, foods, but it's just been really interesting uh, to me. And And I feel like that, 
I, I don't know if this sounds really weird, but I feel like my blood sugar has just been a lot more um, rampant in relation yes. to how I'm eating and really have to be focused on making sure I'm having my greens and all those kinds of things that just really support myself. So, but, you know, a lot of those, you know, heart palpitations is one that I never, I had them early on and a lot of women experience them don't put them down to to perimenopause. So then they go trumpling off to their doctor and go, something wrong with my heart. There's, you know, you've got to do a whole lot of tests. Um, and then you I mentioned the anxiety and depression and that's where, you know, I think the um, the antidepressants certainly, there's a, there's a place for them, don't get me wrong, but um, there's a lot of research um, coming out now to suggest that MHT is more the, um, the way to go in relation to that than um, the antidepressants. And and you've also got to realise that uh, testing research on women hasn't been, we've been doing, mm. going off a lot of research on men. So I don't know, the last 10, 15 years, we're seeing that research for women coming out now. So, yes. you know, there'll be more around, you know, that that estrogen drop and around our hot, hot flushes at night and why they're occurring there. Um, you know, we'll see a lot more coming out now. Um, but that's been a big issue. Okay, that's interesting. Mm. What um, I guess it's you know you're looking at maybe from a relationship perspective as well, and it'd be really interesting. And I know there'd be probably a few fellas listening at the moment as well. And and as we kind of work through this, I mean, you've got you know, I guess from a male's perspective, testosterone starting to decline at this age, and all the things that you spoke about from an estrogen perspective is pretty relevant for males, I guess, from a testosterone, like, you know, getting back into the gym and strength training and right food and yep. these types of things as well. But what's really interesting also, I guess, is like libido, you know, yep. for, and it's kind of like you're thinking around those 40s and 50s starts to decrease. So what's sex life kind of move through in the future as well and what does that kind of look like? And, you know, if you're thinking through postmenopause and and for males with testosterone, it feels like a bit of a clash of the titans at that stage. Is there hope? Oh, look, there's always hope. Um, <laughs> you know, and just to just to clarify for your listeners, there is something called um, male menopause or andropause and that's actually um, it's that drop in testosterone production. And it's um, it does more than just fuel sex drive. Yes. It also fuels. Oh, look at my hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or lack of it. <laughs> it also fuels. Um, you know, it obviously starts to ramp up in puberty, just like the the female hormones. And and we also females also um, uh, uh, produce testosterone, not to the degree that males do, but it also fuels your mental and physical yes. energy. Uh, it maintains your muscle mass. It regulates your flight or flight response, so how you react to situations. Um, so, you know, look, it's one of those things. I think strength training is a really good one to – it comes back again to making sure that you're looking after yourself in relation to that testosterone production. So you ne- testosterone, all our hormones need building blocks in which to be produced. Yes, it does go down. Yes. Um, and, yes, we can supplement through MHT and it, certainly testosterone is available for men as well. But we, it's what you put in yes. or what you do that helps with that. So if we're eating poorly, um, we're moving badly or all those times, we're not sleeping well, that is definitely going to affect your testosterone production and that's going to affect your sex drive as well. So what a thing, I think the way around that is to, well, what can I be doing from a basic standpoint again, and you'll notice that we bring it back to the basics pretty much all the time, 
that can be helping me. And again, it's going back to that lifestyle element. And if the lifestyle element, you're putting those things into place and you think you need a little bit more, then, you know, definitely start seeking out the specialist that can help you with that as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, stre- strength training, they talk about really being able to assist with that testosterone production as well. So is it actually labelled male menopause? Yeah, well, it depends what you We're always you know, trying to get out on everything, Googling, aren't we, right? us okay. blokes? We're like, oh, you've got yeah. menopause. We've yeah, got yeah. menopause yeah. as well, yeah. eh? Yeah, so it's, <laughs> they call it andropause. And, right. you know, again, I don't think there's enough being actually said out there um, about it. Yep. And painting it again as a positive light. You know, what male wants to hear that their physical and, and mental energy is going to uh, decrease or their libido is going to decrease. That's probably by or, Ferraris. And yeah, that's exactly right. And, yeah, yeah, you know, that's it, but that's yeah. it yeah. you know. Yeah. So, but just, you know, talking about that male, the male menopause and female menopause, um, I, I don't know if you've seen the, there was an ABC documentary re- a few months back where Miff Werhurst um, was in, interviewing some women on there and she actually interviewed the Dattos. So uh, Cameron Datto and Alison Datto. Alison's been very vocal and amazing in relation to ha- just helping women appreciate, navigate this space. And they interviewed the both of them and you touched on it before about divorce. Um, and Cameron, one thing that really stuck with me with um, Cameron, he said in the interview about how he just wishes um, men would stick around to actually help women get to the other side. Mm. And I thought that was really powerful because there is a high incidence of marriage separations or de facto separations or divorce during this time. And I've read case studies of women that go, I wish I knew I was going through, I I wish I knew it was menopause, and I wish I didn't go through that divorce because they've come out. And I think that's something that's really that we really need to hone home around that emotional relationship changes that can happen. And look, I've got the most amazing husband that has really been very supportive. And I actually don't know how I would have navigated it so well. Uh, Well, I can't say I've navigated it so well all the time, but just with his support in in calling things out even and being aware of it. And I talk menopause all the way at home. Like I've got a 13, a 14-year-old and an 18-year-old and my 14-year-old said the other day, Mum, I've been a little bit hazy in my thinking. Do you reckon I've got menopause? Like, you know, I'm thinking I was picking things up. But the the crux of the matter here is around, you know, um, the males listening in, you know, Actively educate yourselves around it and be that supportive person to your wife, your mother, your sister, whoever it is in your in your mm. network around actually understanding what they're going through and just being patient and just and help them get to the other side. I, I cannot really hone that home mm. enough. And um, we talk about that a lot in our workshops from a corporate point of view about how work, um, corporate workplaces can be actually supporting their um, their males and females in the workplace to get through this mm. as That's well. fascinating. Made me feel a bit sad. You think of all the divorces that yeah. have happened that potentially with that awareness didn't have to. Mm. No. Because there's a lot yeah. of emotional... It's an emotional yeah. time. And then a lot of women mm. experience this, they lose lots of self-confidence, but they say that the the drop in east in, in, in hormone levels, it also produces a, a you know, I don't, I don't give a brass razoo uh, mm. factor around that. That caring, nurturing element disappears a little for some women and they, they're more prone to... Um, speak their mind and and that affects us needy men absolutely so you know that can be a little bit um terrible for Mm. some people depending on what comes out of our mouths and you know and I know that I've still got that nurturing element but I've definitely seen like 
things that I would have cared a lot more about, it's now it's like, oh, no, you'll be right, like, mm. and you just get on with it. And I actually like that part of it, to be perfectly honest, because um, it helps me empower the other people that I would have nurtured, over-nurtured, right? Yes. Um, talking about my sons. Um, but it, there is a real element of... Um, you know, speaking your mind and possibly that may not come out the right way or comes out in a positive way, whatever it looks like, but just being aware of those changes. You know, some some men will say, well, she's not the woman that I married, but rightly so because we've all gone through different elements of changing through our life stages and then you add the hormone changes to it and that just exemplifies what 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 else can be happening. Yeah. And I want to add too, there's the changes on both sides mm. for both men and women. And so how can men and women coexist across these life phases that we go through, which can be really deeply impactful? How do we empower each other? And really it is that education piece. Yes. And we, I mentioned this quote to you before we actually hit record, which is from um, Dr. Louise Newson, who said 50% of the population will go through menopause and 50% of the population will know someone who is. Mm. Now we could flip that vice versa for men as well. And so, you know, really what we want to try and do is close that gap around, there's obviously distinct differences, but how can we coexist and how can we actually support each other and embrace these changes and see them as strengths for each other? And and that's in, you know, family networks, that's also in, in the workplace environment as well, that yes, they are probably going to be troublesome changes and, and deeply impactful, but how do we how do we work together to support this? And one thing I wanted to also add too, that we're seeing now that women, I think it's the 50 to 55 age bracket, have the highest rate of homelessness in Australia. And again, is that a byproduct of um, the divorce rate that women yeah. are going through? And is that a byproduct of menopause? And again, that's what I mean. The questions keep coming and that's because we haven't had that research. But it's it's through these questions, it's through these great conversations that we can start to say, okay, you know what, we actually need to research that and we need to actually look into that further because there's a root cause to some of these things. That's fascinating, Nat. So when I kind of think around that, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm the, the layman bloke here, but, you know, it's, it's always been kind of secret women's business and there's just not enough discussion. And I feel like what I'm taking away from this chat is like, got to chat to our husbands and wives, got to chat about it. You know, maybe we've got to chat to the kids more about it as well. And maybe there's people listening at the moment thinking, you know, I'm feeling all these, these symptoms and feelings, you know, it's that. And maybe it's just time to be, all of us to be a little bit more vulnerable of where we're at at life and just have these bloody more open conversations around. I've learned so much from it today. Yeah, I know what one thing I'll take away. I know my 15-year-old daughter said not so long ago, mum, you know, are you going through menopause? You know, are you happy about it? And even sitting here today, I was reflecting, oh, what did I say? And I know I would have answered it positively, but now I'll go back and have that even more positive response and say, you know, yep, I am. And I'm navigating it so well and just make sure I'm really open about it, like you were saying, you know, talking about it a lot more and making it more commonplace. And I guess for people listening, you know, what's the upside of menopause and what does it look like on the other side as we transition through? Mm, definitely. And we actually had um, a wonderful woman describe it as a portal. It's a portal to the third part of her life. And, you know, she was uh, probably a good decade beyond that one day of menopause, but she said it's been phenomenal. 
you know, and we can see it as an opportunity. I often talk about menopause being a bit of a professional slash personal development time. And I know, again, <laughs> that might be the furthest thing from our mind, but what's the learning that we can take? It, there's phenomenal learning that we can take about ourselves during this phase and take it into that next part of our life because it's important to acknowledge that we are living 30 to 40 years post that one day of menopause. That's so important. Mm. And how phenomenal decades have we got of watching, if we've had children, grow up grandchildren come into the world there is so much beauty that we can we can have and and again that's the opportunity that we have during the time of perimenopause and menopause is we can nurture ourselves with all of the things we've spoken about for today but we're also nurturing ourselves for the future as well and we can start to think about healthy aging you know chronic disease takes a couple of decades um, to form before it actually shows up in the body but what we do today is going to go so much towards supporting that healthy aging piece. And then we had a wonderful guest on our podcast who said, now I can wear white pants. <laughs> I love that. And, and you don't so think true. about that, that right? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, yes. Actually, when I see a woman out and she's got white pants on, I just smile and go, you go, girl. Yeah, yeah awesome. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> so it's taking those little wins. And, and again, it's, it's flipping the perspective around the experience, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's fantastic. Some great points there. So I guess, you know, as we kind of draw to a close, this has been um, fascinating and I just think it's time we just chat about these things mm. more. You know, like me being here today is actually, it's it's helped on, sorry, Rachel, I kind of even feel like I've got more empathy towards a number of things, you know, as well. And you know, investing 30 years in our marriage and we're all, it's a transition, I think, through life and I've gone through mine, everyone's going through theirs. If we just chat about it a little bit more, then I think that's so helpful. Thank goodness we did this podcast. I know, exactly right. <laughs> yes. we've, we've saved the marriage. No, we're, we're good. We're I was good. just going to say, you know, 10 years ago we weren't talking about mental health either. Yeah, true. No. And now we're talking about it openly and it's just awesome. I'm kind of hoping it's not 10 years before we're openly talking about mental about menopause either because yes. there is such a taboo around it. But Why is that? It's been shrouded in secrecy. You know, yeah. if you look through history, it's not been, you know, women were burnt at the stake for being witches because they were, you know, they lived long enough to go through menopause, right? If you have a look at the history around it, it's mind-boggling what women have gone through. Um, and then there's that patriarchy that, that Nat talked about. And then um, there's been... There's been a, it's been top heavy with males at the top of organisations, yeah. and you know we don't talk about that kind of stuff. Um, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but we're not getting enough women at that senior level to be able to help, uh, you know, open the conversation or be confident enough to be able to talk about the conversation because of that patriarchy and how we've grown up. Um, so that's been part of it. But now is the time that we need to embrace it, and we need to talk about it. We need to be educated. Um, and and just and just people say, well, how do I how do I start? But we just say, you just got to start talking about it, yes. and it really yeah. will break down that taboo, much like what mental health was. And I would encourage everyone just to slow down as well, especially women, in relation to just taking it on board and you know go with your gut. If you're actually not, you think something's not right, don't dismiss it. You mm. know, just seek it out, understand what what's going on, and do whatever you need to in relation to seeing it through and quite possibly if you've got a if you've got a feeling that maybe it is perimenopause it probably is yes and also for the blokes um you know or the males there some of them have been instrumental in saying to someone tapping them you know a loved one go do you reckon you're in perimenopause mm -hmm. and that female go oh 
I actually haven't thought about it. <laughs> you do, but I think a lot of women actually, from what I'm hearing yes. and seeing, they appreciate it because yes, that can empathy. be the the mm. the first point in which they jump from to go, you know what, mm. I actually, I'm not seeing it, but the people around me are. Agreed. And so, you know, for the females in, the, in the listening in, embrace that that care that others will give towards you as well. I want to say on that, sometimes you're so busy in it navigating those symptoms yeah. that you don't step outside. Mm, that's so right. for someone to tap on the shoulder, I think yeah. that's a fantastic, yeah. Yeah. fantastic thing. So as we kind of draw this to the conclusion and thank you so much, I think it's just such a great conversation, mm. you know, and, and, and I'm, again, hopefully everyone maybe becomes more of a dinner conversation, dinner party conversation now as well and start kind of sharing this. But is there any kind of parting, any kind of key things? So if someone's listening at the moment and we're, we're, we're digesting all of this today, if there was one or two kind of trainable things that they could be doing tomorrow just to really start to just giving them some support, what, how would you kind of mm. synthesise that? Mm. I just want to say first thing too, the transition of perimenopause and menopause is very personal and it's yes. a very intimate change that a woman is going through and we're definitely not taking away from that in mm. opening up about the conversation um, and be as open as you want to be but just acknowledging that you're in it and and starting that conversation, uh, we often say it's building your menopause literacy and I think if that's probably the number one takeaway that build your education. I know we've had quite an in-depth conversation here and it can often just feel like there's so much doom and gloom and there's so much troublesome with this phase, but we actually can't move forward until we acknowledge where we are and we understand the what and the why of the phase. Mm. Then we're equipped and we've got that knowledge and now we can then say, okay, this is what I need. This is the support that I can give myself and this is the support that I need for my family or I need from my workplace as well. So I think as a key takeaway, build your education, build that menopause literacy and, and get that understanding and then decide and, and look at your lifestyle. So we've got um, a framework, um, it's called the five pillars, dot, dot, dot to whatever it is and it's essentially a Venn diagram and in the middle is the self and then surrounding that with the other circles is your physical, mental, emotional and spiritual health and as a, as a quick action or as an initial action, look at one of those and yes. say, okay, where am I not nurturing myself and what is one thing that I can do? and acknowledging that whatever you do in one is naturally going to flow into another. Mm. So if you start to sleep better or you're moving your body better, I can guarantee that your mental health will start to improve. Your relationships from an emotional point of view will also improve and your spiritual health. You're going to feel more connected to your values or the purpose in your life too. So that's that's really powerful and, and we can share, yeah, no, a, share we'll, a link we'll, to that yeah. if you we like. We for sure. Right? Yeah. That's really beautifully put. Yeah, really, I, it's, that. I think it, that, that kind of it sums it up well and, Lisa, is there anything you want to kind of finish with today? No, I think I've talked enough, but, you know, I, I look, well, actually, yes. I, I think just to reiterate what Nat's saying is around the education, it really is key and don't be afraid to talk about it. I think we are talking about it a whole lot more, which is great. You know, uh, three years ago, four years ago uh, when we started this, we had doors shut in our face and saying that's not an issue for, for us both individually and from a corporate sense and we've seen a real groundswell, which is great. You know, we've got celebrities talking about mm. it, which just heightens the ability for others to feel more comfortable talking about it. Um, so, yeah, talk and share how you're feeling and don't, you know, certainly don't try not to go through it all by yourself because it can be pretty taxing and, um and, you know, one thing that we didn't talk about was it's a heightened amount of suicides between yeah. women 47 to 52 that happens um, and 
the connection is through those women going through menopause and the symptoms that they're feeling and no, and feeling that they're no longer able to go to work and perform their function that they love to do. So that's just something else that we need to be mindful of and, and keeping an eye out for as well. That's good stuff. And Rach, any reflections on today? I think, I mean, that was perfect what you said. As, but I love the piece that you said about, you know, when you look at one of those pillars and then it flows into another mm-hmm. one. And just recently I've been really, you know, watching especially my sugar intake, which is always an issue for me. So I've really focused on that and the result of that has just flowed into so many other areas. I really picked up my strength training, you know, brain fog has cleared a lot. So I absolutely agree with that. We've it's- really invested back in self-care again. You know, yeah, you can, we, all can, we all can lose, lose it yeah, at certain yeah. state, all of us, yeah. right, at, at, yeah. at, at yeah. these different stages. But now I, it's, you know, firstly – Thank you very much for coming on. But I know there's people probably listening now from a whole range of um, parts of the community. How do we find out more about you guys? So you can find us at our website at ownyourhealthco.com.au. Um, we're also quite um, active on LinkedIn as well. And so my profile is Natalie Moore and uh, Lisa Saunders, um, but they're the best ways to get in touch with us. And your amazing podcast. Oh, of yes. course, <laughs> Perry Menopause Power is our podcast. And uh, that's been a phenomenal two years with a range of fabulous conversations with women, as well as bringing our own um, expertise and passion to it as well. And you said nearly 100 episodes. Is that yep. what you want to that is, I can't even yeah, believe that. I'm not even hit 10 yet. Ne- I'm like, oh, I. my God, it's like a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, unbelievable. Yeah, it's, and, and pretty much done it pretty much weekly. I think we've maybe missed one or two weeks here or there. And, um, yeah, so it's it's a great place to start if anyone uh, listening in needs to have a little bit more information about um, about it before they leap in, in relation to an action plan that they might want to put in place. And so thanks for everything that you do. And I think, you know, I was reading something the other day about ageing and ageing is a privilege because we're still here. Yeah. Right. We're still alive. Right. And I think it's, you know, this I've taken away today is just, just empathy, you know, self-care, having some conversations, even me as a father with my daughters, you know, like this is not, that's just mum's thing. You know, like this is something that we all need to kind of discuss and chat more and, and, um, and, and I guess have just such, such more empathy for each other. And hopefully this can help with marriages. It mm. can help with mental health and that everyone's going through different changes in life. So let's just chat about it. So thank you so much for today. Really, really appreciate that. And uh, look forward to following the journey. And I'm sure we'll probably get you back on at some stage anyway. So thanks awesome. very much. Thank you so much. Thank Cheers. you so much. 